again. Thanks to Cry Malt. This is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News, and as always, or as sometimes, as in, as frequently as we can manage, I'm joined by my good friend, colleague, and regular co-host Pete Mitchum. Pete, welcome back. G'day, Matt. G'day, listeners. Falling into old habits to an, to a degree, but not necessarily uh, reasons, but no excuses. Well, yeah, sometimes yeah. just sometimes you know, uh, beer gets in the way of of work. It, it, it's a busy time of year, and for, and, our, and for our guests as well, and, and for our guests as well. Yeah, so we uh, we were going to be speaking to Anya Ohura, um, formerly of uh, Matilda Bay and CUB, and now of the Boyne Brewing in Ireland. Um, and we teed her up last week, um, and there were problems and in the, the brew before. house, and the week before. Well, yeah, we teed her up this week and the week before, so it's. Running a small brewery has its catastrophes, um, particularly when you're trying to do it uh, with a 10-hour time or 11-hour time difference and uh, fit in without recording in the middle of the night. Uh, maybe we should just be more committed, Prof. Uh, actually, well, we probably would. It's our guests that uh, would – it's a little bit unfair to expect them to get up in the middle of the night to take our call. Exactly. I'm sure they would. So so, so anyway, yes, yeah, so unfortunately we uh, our guests fell through, but rather than let another week go by, um, we – Thought we'd have, just catch up uh, with ourselves because Pete and I haven't even had much of a chance to uh, to ch- say much uh, of late. So, Pete, what have you been up to? I've uh, been keeping busy and uh, keeping up with the news and tried a couple of new beers this week. Well, since, we, since you and I last um, chatted, some very nice and some very disappointing. Are you willing to... Oh, you want names? Are you willing to sort of discuss that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. No. Sure. I uh, had uh, I tried the um, the the Doctor Tim's. No. What's it? Doctor Tim's original ale. Oh, well, which is just the pale ale in cans. Yeah. I know. But it, um, it, and can condition. Can and condition. I, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that for me was probably a revisiting. Um, and I was very pleasantly surprised. And where did you find that? Because that that was for a long time. I, I tried that on a ferry in South Australia about yeah. eight or nine years ago, and have been surprised that they haven't brought it out more you know, nationally. But th- th- there were reasons behind it. I yeah, understand. no, I got it um, from a, a small independent little uh, celebrations type um, uh, branded. Yeah, it's a you know it's franchise owned, so it's a owner operator, uh, nice guy who just gets in small amounts of lots of you know interesting beers and changes them over from time to time and um, and has them all at a, a pretty good price. So I thought I'll look, look after him. We, we might make a note um, to even just to do a short little thing uh, with one of the guys from Coopers about that because the Coopers, the, the, the can-conditioned ale was a little bit of a achievement when they did it. Um, and I'm just trying mm. to think back through my memory banks because there was an issue because it's can-conditioned and when the can conditioning happens the pressure builds up inside as the carbonation occurs prior to that the cans are a little bit flexible you know that they're they're not at full pressure so you can't stack them or there is some issue around stacking pallets and pallets on top of them because they haven't conditioned and can't take the weight and so they can collapse so from memory so um it might even be interested in uh uh, you know having a bit of a chat and finding out a little bit about that it's just one of those nice little uh bits of uh, information very much so Anything else you tried? Uh, yeah, tried the new John Boston Golden Ale. And was is golden. that the one? It was golden in colour. Okay, yeah. right. So, and of course, uh, John Boston. Bit of debate. Bit of debate actually in some in some circles at the moment about is is Golden Ale really? Should we just drop Golden Ale? What is it? You know, what is what is Golden Ale? 
is it really just a is, is it an easy drinking pale ale is it a you know a summer ale like it's a it's a color descriptor rather than i think some people feel that, that perhaps it's a bit of a uh, a cop out style uh well it, it is i'll actually i i described it in the uh craft beer industry associations um beer style selector um and let me see, discover styles. I'll just call it up while we're chatting because, yeah, no, it, very much. I mean, there, there, there is no style called golden art. Like, I, I don't know that there are any. There's a. I, I don't know that there are any major competitions around the world that have a golden ale style um, as a. So it's a bit of a catch-all phrase. Because I think there's, there are two sections to it. One is the from the consumer's point of view. I think it, it says something and it, it it gives a bit of a, a hint. Um, and that sort of thing. And, but then from the brewer's point of view, I think it's seen differently, perhaps. Yeah, well, and it's a bit of a marketing. You know, it's, it's just like um, Red Hill calling their what they wanted to brew as a culture, culture, um as a golden, golden ale, um, yeah. which probably is, to me, to my way of thinking, um, a, a fairer description of it because it does, it's not really a culture. It might have been inspired by the culture, but... People might get upset, but um, the What is Craft Beer um, website describes a golden ale as something of a catch-all description for lighter-coloured craft ales that don't quite fit into the more tightly defined pale ale styles. The golden ale is coming to assume the role that the blonde ale occupies in the French brasserie, a, an entry-level beer that still delivers a tasty reward uh, with a slightly fuller malt character and lower bitterness than the Australian pale ale. Uh, brewers seem to use carte blanche with their aromatic hop selections, which makes for a very nice variety in the marketplace. So um, that was the way I described it before, which, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd, hey, when you were in France uh, last year, Prof, did you go to any French um, brasserie breweries? No. Okay. Uh, but you did get to Belgium? I did. You did. Um, did you notice that when you walk into the, 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 the small breweries or if you got to a brewery that they tend to just have a blonde and a brune and a... Um, a Grand Cru uh, or a... Yeah, yeah, and they, they just sort of, and it, each one is sort of like the house style. Um, yeah. But it's, yeah. it's just a, it's just describing the colour as opposed to a um, tightly defined style description. And, and I kind of like that. Um, which yeah, I, you, kind of, I, you know you're not going to be disappointed with a, with a Belgian or a French blonde ale, but there's always the chance that the next one's going to be slightly different and, and, and uh, tickle your fancy a little bit more or just be that yeah. little bit more aromatic or, you know, whatever. And with any um, with anything, uh, there are pros and cons. You know, like if a golden ale is a very blurred edge, you know, there's not tightly defined styles. Mm. If you walk in and you don't have a great understanding, because to, to to select, you need to have a little bit of a a deeper beer knowledge um, to you know decipher the descriptions on the packaging or know the brewery and have a little bit of understanding of their house style um, and and their approach to brewing to form a view of, to, to have some expectation of what's going to come. Whereas if people strictly adhere to style, um, you, you've got a much, you can have less knowledge, but um, buy with much more confidence. And yeah. you know, on my understanding of the world of wine, that's one of the things that has made new world wine very popular. You know, if you're buying a uh, Riesling or a Sauvignon Blanc, um, you've, you, you pretty much know what the grape variety is, whereas if you buy a, a French wine... Um, An estate you, wine. A, a, yeah. yeah. You, you, you need to understand 
what grapes are grown in that region and so what the the, the, the flavour will be and also a little bit about the house style. So it needs, it, it can be a little bit imposing for people who aren't quite in the style, who aren't quite in, you know... In, in, in the, the know of styles, yeah. Yep. Yeah. But uh, look, that, that was a, a long way of saying that... Uh, so the John Boston Golden Ale, you weren't overwhelmed by it, is what I'm hearing. Not racing back to that one, no. So actually, I've been reading. Um, I've been doing a lot of uh, research for for this book that I'm uh, meant to be writing, and uh, I've been reading about the whole history of uh, James Squire and John Boston, and who actually was the first brewer. Um, and uh, apparently, the the evidence seems to suggest that uh, it was James Squire it was the first commercial brewer. Um, There's also but... an argument about uh, that John Boston used corn. Uh, yes. rather than malt. He didn't use molten hops. Yes, he, he used uh, some, uh, it was Indian corn and corn other bitterings. Yeah. And uh, that's actually one of the things that um, uh, pinpoints John Boston, uh, um, James Squire as being the, one of the earliest brewers, is that in evidence yes. given in the early 1800s, he talked about how he first acquired hops in, in Australia. It was a ship, the Daedalus, from memory, um, that stopped by and he managed to get some hops and was able to brew um, the, the beer. Um, but of course, actually, but even predating that, um, the earliest First Fleet records uh, talk about a spruce beer being made um, as a uh, attempt to cure the scurvy of the First Fleet sailors. So um, they would have had the stores for brewing. They would have had the malt extract on the, the, the ships that once they landed, they, uh, they would have brewed beer. Um, there's no record of who that person would have been, um, but also it wasn't a commercial brewing. So, um, yeah, I yeah. think James Squire's brewery at, um, at Kissing Point, which is now sort of on the Parramatta River, near, I think that's the site of the Parramatta Hospital now, or somewhere around that area, was the first commercial, uh, commercially established brewery, I think. Yeah, although Boston which also is where had the a... claims come in, I think. Yeah, and Boston and Co. also had a a wheat um, mill that was associated with the, the the brewery, and there's some speculation that he might have sort of uh, sold yeast to bakers as well because of his brewing operation. So it, it, it's quite fascinating. But as as always, it's you, you're taking it from um, you know scant historical record um, and trying to piece it together. But anyway, um, it, it does seem to be that Squires was the first one, but um, that the modern John Boston probably really isn't anything like the original John Boston anyway, so it's just a name. No, exactly. Yeah. Speaking of names, Prof, uh, did you see that CUB has uh, stepped up its heritage brand focus, relaunching Toots Pale Ale? I did. Although, so, well, is it kind of like Wentworth? So Wentworth is a reimagining of Prisoner, right? Because you don't want it, why you can't just do the whole thing again because it's not 1980 anymore yeah, Absolutely. In, a, yeah. in a TV show thing. So Absolutely. therefore, like all you're really doing is you're just taking a name and and putting a new beer behind that name. So Absolutely, it's not... it, 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 yeah. it's, it, it, it's draping uh, in, and I'm just trying to sort of work out what I want to say in, in an article. But I've, I've called it, you know, sort of uh, dressing lamb up as mutton um, because you, you know, generally you, you want to dress mutton up as lamb. But this is a case of taking an old cloak and draping it over something new to sort of give it an, an, a patina of heritage that it may not otherwise have. Is it, is it to balance out all the new yaks that they're going to have? And so you need to have, for all these new ones, we need to kind of balance it out with, you know, um, sticking jumper leads into a few old ones. 
yeah, look, I, I mean, I, I think it's got something to do. It, it, it's, you know, it, it's it's one that you could really sneer at quite drastically, you know, in, in a way, um, depending on your particular point of view. But the, the thing is that they're, they're responding to a market um, that there is this large part of the market that don't, don't actually really care too much about the beer, but they love the feel of um, drinking toots. And, and we've seen it with rashes. You know, uh, we, we've had a chat in the past with um, New South Wales Sommelier of the Year who goes by the Twitter name Rashes. He loves rashes. And, you know, when we interviewed him, he you know, talked about how it's great that there's this beer that is only available in this small little part of the um, Sydney market. Um, and that it's a local beer and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, he was quite surprised when I pointed out that CB don't have a New South Wales brewery. So whilst it's only available in a small part of the market, it's actually not made anywhere near that market. Um, but it, it, it's, it just shows that, you know, that the beer is one thing, but the brand and the marketing um, is a whole other thing. Um, I, so I love back, the time. back to the future for SAB Miller, is it? Or... Is... Oh, is it really just is it really just protecting the um, the trademarks? No, no, no. Look at that; they've secured the trademarks. Um, I think it's just a like a, a they appreciate that you know people like drinking these old beers. These old beers that admittedly <laughs> they killed off, um, but they killed them off because uh, you know for for a range of reasons, and one of those reasons is that. They weren't selling very well. Not enough so, people were drinking them. Yeah, yeah. So, so they kill them off, and suddenly, um, you know, uh, you know that, that whole hipster blame it all on the hipsters is is a little bit unfair because it's not just the hipsters. But you know, we, we saw it in America where PBR, huge beer of the nineteen seventies, um, reached its lowest ebb in two thousand, um, and then suddenly, without any marketing or anything, uh, it was suddenly rediscovered by a group of people who like something that's a little bit daggy, a little bit counterculture. It doesn't have the big dollars spent behind that, you know, Budweiser and Miller has. And so yeah. it marks them out as being a little bit independent minded. But then you've got, you know, a, a huge gaggle of people who are all telling themselves that they're independent, independent minded by drinking the same beer. Um, mm. And you, know, you, you do see that a little bit. And, you know, We're it's just individual. A, we are all individuals. I'm not, um, but it's yeah. So look, at, I mean, it's just a fairly pragmatic, um, you know, that they did come out. You know, Scotty Vincent came out and so said, look, you know, the original one wouldn't have worked. Um, the, the, the original, uh, not, not for the least reason of which they can't find the recipe anymore. They can't find the recipe <laughs> yet. But and, and actually, that's the other thing that the, when I read about the, the I'll give the I'll give, it, I'll give you guys a hint out there. Uh, Pride of Ringwood hops <laughs> weren't around. Well, no, Pride of Ringwood hops were only invented in the 1950s. 1954, so... it was, it was, yeah, it was released or hybridised or you know. Yeah, yeah. But the, the, I mean, Tui's Pale Ale was killed off in uh, 1934. Tooths. Tooths. Oh, was it? Oh, oh sorry, yeah, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was pre-Pride okay, Ringwood. Yeah. Um, but but here's here's the funny thing. You know, when, when it's very easy to sneer, it was actually. Um, toots, um, Brett Stubbs. I had a bit of a Brett Stubbs is in France at the moment, and uh, I had a bit of a sort of chat with him online about it, just about the the history and the heritage. And yeah, he, he made a good point that it's well and good for CUB to um, celebrate, you know, say how much they celebrate the history of um, uh, you know their their beers and their brand. Um, but they took over 
the, the Tooths Brewery in 1984, I believe. Um, and uh, at that, when they During took the it elders, over... Elders IXL period. Yeah, yeah. But um, the... Uh, let me see. I'll just sort of call up uh, the email here. So um, they bought it and then two that they bought it two years before the 150th um anniversary uh of, of the um uh Original brewing company yep. yeah and there were plans well in chain to celebrate that 150th cub let it pass you know without celebration at all and then close the brewery down um which <laughs> you know you're not really celebrating history um you celebrate your history when it's there's a business case for doing that, which sort of undermines the whole argument. But anyway, um, Brett uh, pointed out that um, whilst lager had been brewed in Australia um, you know, in the late, late 1800s, it wasn't possible because of the need for refrigeration. And it was the big brewers, Tooths among them, um, and Tuis, um, who were the ones that uh, effectively killed off their ales because in 1920, by 1920 and 19, uh, the 30s, um, Tooth, Tuis and Resch had more than 90% of the New South Wales market um, with lager. So it was the fashionability of lagers that killed off um, the heavier ales that were brewed in, in the yeah. late 1800s, early uh, 20th century. So, you know, when you see them say, look, you know, we, it wouldn't be appropriate to brew a beer in the original two style, they're right because it, it, it was the market that the market has been moving away from heavy lagers to heavier ales to lighter lagers over a period of a hundred years. And it's not just big breweries killing them off and forcing lagers down people's necks. It was people wanting those lagers. So for, you know, yeah. On one hand, you can sort of be very cynical when they talk about, you know, um, when, when you see the media release and Tim Avardia comes out and says what you would expect him to say, that people want authenticity and things like that. Um, and then to sort of say, well, how authentic is it to make a, to invent a beer that's never existed before and call it under this old name? But I, there's part of me that wonders that if the technology and the ingredients and the, um, you know, the, the, the refrigeration and the skill was available to brewers 100 years ago, this is probably the sort of beer that they would have brewed anyway. Yeah. yeah. Is, is my way of thinking. So, look, you know, as I said, it's very easy to hate on it, but I, I think that's that sort of instinctive emotional um, reaction as opposed to, uh, you know, them doing anything wrong. It, it, it's, it's, it's transparent, but it, it, it is what it is. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible.
Uh, but speaking of marketing, uh, more news on the website. Um, Rob Rumanitsky, who's the Post Project head, um, we, we picked up a blog post that he wrote, um, basically saying small brewers should stop complaining about the challenges they face in the beverage market and get better at exploiting their advantages. Um, talking about, you know, they need to be better at marketing their stories. Yeah. Yep. And this is a, uh, you know, Rob sort of, um, we've discussed this for on many occasions. Uh, the, and obviously, look, that's that's his bread and butter. That's the kind of thing he he does. He he thinks in that space. So yep. um, he's very much a uh, a worthy voice in terms of interpreting what he what he sees. Um, so where I think the product obviously has to come first, second, third, and probably up to tenth. You know, let, let's make sure we get the product right, um, a, a consistent, high quality product every time. And then the next thing I think, yeah, is is marketing. Is telling your story and and yeah. and getting people to uh, to to associate with that brand and say yeah See, that, I, that's a bit of me that you know represents a bit of my you know my values my ethos my whatever yeah and 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 I agree with you to a point in the the, the beer and the quality um, you know is paramount but the marketing isn't too far behind and as we you know reach with three four hundred breweries. Um, in Australia, or you know, beer brewing brands, and they're on everywhere. Um, the expectation that beer is going to be of a certain quality is just going to become set. And then, it, you know, when we do have seventeen parallels to choose from, um, what makes us choose the one? You know, seventeen very similar parallels to choose from. What makes us choose one over another? And that's where the marketing comes in. Mm. And but also to me, that's one of the reasons why when I really fire up these days, um, you know, whether it's back to the Byron Bay Pale Lager or even looking at you know, things like goat brewing at uh, Asahi or, you know, contract brewers, brewers yep. who use contracting, which is perfectly acceptable, but they then don't change the narrative of their brewery. Um, and, and we've seen that in, in, in Brisbane where Newstead Brewery, which is a fantastic brewery, um, you know, Mark House is a great brewer. They're doing some really good stuff, winning lots of awards, um, and they were very upfront when they um, went and put their beer into bottles. But every now and then they'll put a post on their website, you know, when they brew a batch of one of the beers actually at the, the brewery um, and make a big thing of, you know, beer brewed in Newstead, which to the casual observer, you know, leaves a feeling that all of the beers are brewed in Newstead um, when they're not. And, you know... It, 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 it's, it's when you start getting the blurring of the, you know, what, what the brewery, brewer's advantages are and their story is um, that it can actually, it, it pollutes the market a little bit. My fear is that when you've got, you know, um, Coles out there pushing brands that they're not completely upfront about or they're sort of making dodgy stories and then uh, you've got craft brewers who are getting their beer made in the same brewery and then you've got other brewers who make all of their beers uh, you know them, themselves. It's very easy to, to to blur the lines, and you know as, as Ben Kraus and we've said a number of times. You know Ben points out that people come into his brewery asking, "Do you really make your beer here?" Um, when you've got a consumer um, base that finds it all too hard to believe the stories or become cynical about the stories, that affects the brewers that have a really true, authentic story, as opposed to. Yeah. So and, and and that's where I you know end up sort of getting really upset when you sort of see people blurring the lines. But that's just me. No, no, no. I, mean, I think you're not alone there. 
Uh, mate, beer has some beautiful truths, apparently. Are you uh, are you familiar with the Beer the Beautiful Truth campaign? I'm, I'm across Beer the Beautiful Truth. Why, why do you ask, Matt? He what says, are your thoughts? expecting Matt to, to wind up here in just a moment. Oh, no. No, no, look, it, it's not a wind-up, as, as always. You know, like it's um, there, there are two sides, but in in, in a case like Beer the Beautiful Truth, um, beer does have indeed some very beautiful truths. I just get the feeling that Lion, um, which is running the campaign, is ignoring some of their rather inconvenient truths at the same time and using a what, what they're calling a category campaign to... Uh, you know, not not craft wash per se, but just uh, you know, whitewash a little bit over the story of their um, you know brewing processes. Um, you know, uh, are, you, uh, are you referring to them not mentioning the use of um, adjunct sugars rather than all malt? Uh, well, well, everything about a little bit, um, but I mean, everything about it is that they they do mention adjunct sugars, but they talk about you know. Your favourite beers are on average 99% sugar-free, which is perfectly correct. You know, sugar ferments out um, and, you know, uh, so, so it is. But when you go through the website, discover the beautiful truth about beers and you want to find out about how beer is made, for example, um, you know, uh, all of the, you know, you, you see a flash of Han Super Dry and then you see a headline, how beer is crafted. Um, and then you see photos of waving wheat, you see photos of your know, hop flowers, you see um, you know, video of brewers hand peeling lemons and oranges for their you know, hard super dry lemon or whatever it is. And you're just sort of going, well, okay, the, the brewing process that you describe, which is beer, you know, uh, malt is milled, malt is soaked, uh, it is uh, mashed. It, it, does, it does start out, start out waving in a field, to be fair. And the hops well, do start out as, as flowers, no matter how they well, kind of well, end well, up. Well, they do. They, they, they do. But when you're looking at a, and a bit, again, it, it's easiest to look at the extreme end. So on one hand, they're talking about how beer is crafted. And on the other hand, and they're saying, you know, uh, sugar is, um, uh, cane sugar is um, not one of the four core ingredients of beer, which is, you know, they, they call malt water, hops and yeast. Um mm. And yet a beer like Han Super Dry, 40% of the grain, 30, 40% of the grain bill is cane sugar. You go, well, you know, when, when, it's, when you're describing it in your presentation as being, you know, we also use adjunct sugars to enhance flavour. You know, we also use other ingredients like sugar cane or coriander and orange peel to enhance the flavour. Um, that's actually not an accurate description of the use of cane sugar in... The mainstream brewing process. And, um, yeah, yeah. Cane, cane sugar is used to lighten the body and lighten the flavour. Um, yeah, to... enhance flavour doesn't enhance doesn't necessarily mean increase. Okay, I, okay, I, I take your point. It's a very subtle thing, but even so, it is. I think. Well, okay, I, I'm just sort of looking at the difference between uh, beer the uh, the natural beer promise ten years ago uh, or eight years ago. Um, the defunct, which where... they couldn't keep to because, yeah, it, it, exactly. Beer, beer so, was going flat. Yeah, um, and uh, beer was going or well, appearing. It, well, appearing it wasn't getting its head. Um, so yeah, yeah, so and they came out and said beer has five ingredients: um, malt, sugar, hops, yeast, and water. Something's changed in their their mindset that sugar suddenly, you know, which is a which is a big part. Sugar's even... evil. But do you? 
you know, when the premise and, and, and actually, I'll, I'll go back a step. I, I, I interviewed uh, Lion, the sort of uh, category manager for Lion, um, a, a week ago. That was meant to be for a podcast. Um, as always is the case, an external affairs advisor was on the conversation, just sort of listening in. Um, and a couple of times, I sort of started saying, you know, the uh, spokesperson from Lion. Um, you know, was sort of talking about how beer only has four core ingredients. And I went along the line of saying, you know, well, is that accurate when a beer like Han's Super Dry has, you know, a significant load of, uh, you know, cane and uses tetra hops? You know, is it natural? Uh, tetra hops were regarded as not being natural. Then suddenly the corporate affairs spokesman um, comes on the line and says, well, you know, he's a marketing person, he's not a brewer, he's not qualified to talk about this. Um, and you know, as soon as you, you've got that, you know, the the corporate affairs vice says absolutely that he can't be quoted on the podcast. So it, it essentially, when that happens two or three times during the podcast, um, it renders the entire interview largely unusable. Um, uh, and and you know, it, it it got a little bit um, heated during during the chat because they're saying one thing, but then when you you know probe that statement. They then say, oh, look, we're marketers. We can't comment on the on the brewing process. And they're the ones who apparently have devised the campaign around it. So that's the history of, of this. And I've tried to sort of discuss some of these things with the people who, who made it up. They throw their hands up in the air and say, look, we're not brewers. We can't talk about it. But, you know, um, the, the, the premise for the Beer the Beautiful Truth campaign is that people want to know what's in their beer and how it's made. Now, I don't think that you can start with that premise, but then say, well, we will choose what we communicate, you know, what truths we communicate, um, and only choose the ones that, you know, cast our entire portfolio in a light that probably doesn't um, reflect those beers accurately. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, and, and, and look, it, it, it's a vexed question because on one hand, we want beer, you know, we, we really want to see a category campaign um, that celebrates beer for all of the benefits. Um, but it, this is the problem when one brewer does that of themselves. Suddenly, you, you know, it becomes a brand campaign, not just for beer, but for all of their beers. Um, and, and my question to, to, to Lion was to say, well, look, you know, um, you, you're saying that people want to know what's in their beer. Um, you're saying that Be the Beautiful Truth is a category campaign and you can't go into the, um, you know, idiosyncrasies of individual beers. Okay, go to the Han website um, and there are very similar vi videos where, you know, what's in your beer? It's got a photo of a barley field, it's got a photo of water, it's got a photo of yeast and it's got a photo of hop flowers. None of which, except for the water and the yeast, are actually represented in the form that they go into the beer. Um, there's no mention at all of sugar. Um, there is no mention of tetra hops. There's no mention of high gravity brewing. There's no mention of you know um, any of the things, any of the industrial processes that make Han Super Dry possible. Um, you know, it, it, to to describe the brewing process the way that they do is a little bit like drawing a stick figure of the Statue of David. Um, the, the modern industrial brewing process to make you know, a billion stubbies identical isn't the same natural process that they describe. You know, there, there, is, a, there, there is blending, there is high, you know, high gravity brewing and uh, you know, deoxygenated water you know, um, down, there is uh, tetra hops, there is all of these things. 
none of which are convenient truths for them when they want to portray beers like Han Super Dry and Forex Gold as natural product. Or we could look at it that we've we've got people interested in the ingredients in beer, so let's just give them the ingredients and maybe they're not ready for the rest yet, or maybe they don't care. Okay, but just conf- doesn't that um, confuse them? And doesn't that then blur the decision? confuse somebody by not telling them something, can you? Oh, I think you can. Well, now, I mean, now I'm it, confused. Okay, no, well, okay, eight years ago, campaign um, uh, about the natural beer promise. Fantastic, you know, a, a very idealistic um, initiative to make beers as natural as they wanted to portray them. They discovered that they couldn't make their beers that way because there was so much sugar and the brewing process and the enzymes you know, uh, changed the character of the beer so it wouldn't keep its head without using um, pre-isomerized hop extracts. They had a, I had very long discussions with them at the time about, you know, well, Han Super Dry wasn't included because it, it can't be made without, you know, it can't be made naturally without using added enzymes and without using pre-isomerized hop, hop extracts. Um, suddenly, but during this interview that I was doing, you know, they bandy um, words around like beer is a very natural product. And, you know, you, 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 you can't change your definitions just because you found that you couldn't make the beer to the definitions that you were holding yourself to, and which is what they've done. You know, so on, you know, 10 years or eight years ago, they said that we will only call beer natural if it meets these criteria. Now they've decided that those criteria are too hard to make. So we'll tell people it's natural anyway. You don't think you, you, I mean, you, you, you don't think that that undermines um, you know some of the other elements of the the, the brewing process or, or, or the other you know it, it doesn't take away you know, saying that Han Super Dry is crafted from natural products doesn't um, diminish beers that are naturally brewed um, using natural products. Mm, probably not for the people who drink those beers, no. But this isn't – but that, that, that's the thing. They're not the, – the Beer, the Beautiful Truth campaign is a category which takes in craft, it takes in, you know, the, the most mainstream industrial beer. Yeah. And it's saying they are all the same. That's a little bit like saying that, you know, craft cheese singles and a farmhouse cheddar are made using the same process. Fundamentally they are, but they're not the same thing. You can't get beer that stays, you know, in your fridge – for three months um, and make it the same way that a craft beer, you know, that, that, that a supermarket, uh, that a you know, farmhouse cheddar is. It, it, it just doesn't work. Um, the, the thing that makes Han Super Dry so good is, well, you know, so, so good in its category is that it uses these very, very advanced food science industrial processes that make such a light flavored beer able to be put in a clear glass bottle, able to be made, you know, a billion are exactly the same and, you know, able to be low carb. All of these things are be through processes that aren't in any way described. Like it would not be possible. Um, it, it would not be able to be brewed under the process described in the Be The Beautiful Truth campaign. Yeah, yeah. Anyways. Okay. Oh, yeah. Look, yeah. I'm not taking away from the desire um, to create, um, you know, a, a campaign that changes people's perceptions about beer. 
Um, but it, it, it certainly, I mean, I, <laughs> the, the other thing that I wanted that, that I was barred from talking about or talking about was, you know, again, Han super dry. So they want to say that beer is evil um, and or that, that sugar is evil. Um, Ten years ago, they launched Han super dry um, on the premise that it is better for you than other beers. And, you know, they had, um, I don't know if you remember the ad, there was that heart draw, drawn on the beach with two breasts and, and the guy walks along yeah. and sort of puts nipples on. And, puts, and that yeah. was in the day before viral Turned the heart into boobies, yeah, because yeah. it's, and, and, it's a bloke thing. And <laughs> that was designed to take people to a website. And the website, when you went to it, it was uh, Han Loves Boobs or something like that. And you go to the website and you see um, these boobs jiggling, um, you know, very close in. And then as you go out, you realise it's a man's boobs. Um, yes. And the whole campaign, and they advertised in gyms of saying, women hate your guts, um, you know, and, you know, boobs look great on women, not on men. The premise being that if you want to drink, if, if you drink Han Super Dry, you're not going to get man boobs. So th th that's the other you thing. Have, about yeah, the you have less, less risk than drinking uh, other full carb beers, which, provided, which, yeah, provided you drink about a case of them in a session. Well, Three, four times a week. Well, but but that, that, that wasn't the takeaway. <laughs> no, no, was, uh, no. Drink this beer over others. So that was the other thing is that, you know, I was sort of trying to talk to them, well, you know, aren't you trying to undo myths that you, you yourself created? And we, we still see Pure Blonde doing now, you know, putting you know, the, that's, the old... That's the, essence, that's the essence of marketing, create the problem with the, with the solution. Gee, I didn't but even now... know I had fungal nail disease, but apparently there are 37 <laughs> products advertised every seven minutes of my viewing no, pleasure. Yeah. Oh, no, no, but see, that's, that's what they were doing. Product for it. E everyone believed that beer made you fat, and they they um, pandered to that erroneous perception. So you know, and, and in mm. doing so, but in, in in doing so, took a big shit in the pool that soured the rest of the beer market. And they're now sort of saying, oh, well, you know, people think that sh there's sugar in beer. People think that there's you know, beer is bad for you. Where did they get that idea from? <laughs> they got it from them. So anyway, so yeah, look, be the beautiful truth, yes, but I don't think that you can communicate the beautiful truth without, you know, by completely ignoring and being a little bit deceptive about the inconvenient ones. Fair enough. No, I see. I don't I, I want to win you over on this one, Prof. I don't. I, don't want this. I, I just, I just don't care enough about it, Matt. To be honest. Really? Yeah. You, couldn't you, be less interested. Really, you don't think it damages no. a category? No. No, I think at the end well, of the day, good good beer is good beer. People will find it. I, I gave up a long time ago trying to work out how marketing people work because it, it, it changes with the with the weather. So they're always going to come up with – they need to come up with something. They can't pay these people to sit on their backsides doing nothing. Come up with a new campaign. We've yeah, but don't come up with a campaign we'll that something. damages beer. Yeah, I don't which know. Is, which is – oh, no, 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 no. Beer the Beautiful Truth doesn't damage beer. But I, don't, I, I think that it damages a segment of the beer by making everything equal. And Han Super Dry and, you know, even Little Creatures Pale Ale aren't equal. Um, they're, they're not equally described in Beer the Beautiful Truth. Uh-huh. Okay. Yep. So, anyway. I guess our listeners okay. will, will... Yeah, let um, us know. Speaking of which... Yeah, let us know. Yeah, 
We, we, we've been crapping on uh, for enough, uh, but you know, let us know what you think, listeners. Uh, editor at Bruise News or uh, bruisenews.com.au. Um, send it to me, I'll forward it on. Um, we do have, we haven't really been active, so we don't have too much. Uh, there's been no people commenting on uh, or rating us on iTunes, but please go and uh, do that if you like what we say or just like that we say it. Um, but we have had Paul Pacey, who's been a fairly regular um, commenter. Uh, hey, Matt, any chance of a new RBN episode soon? Uh, we're coming up on two months and I'm having withdrawals. I don't think it was quite two months, Prof, but anyway, it, it seemed like a long time for him, which is nice. Uh, I'm keen to hear you and Prof shoot the breeze over Mountain Goat, AB InBev, etc. We've done that uh, last episode, the episode before last. Hopefully you guys can get an episode or two before the silly season coming up. Thank you again for the entertaining podcast we've had this year. It's been a very good year for IBM. So thank you very much for that, Paul. Um, thank you for commenting. Listeners, please let us know what you think. Um, rate us on uh, iTunes or just send us an email. Um, you can contact us on by phone if you want to get your dulcet tones on and provide a break from Pete and I chatting. 07-3040-1508. That number again, 07-3040-1508. Um, and yes, we will. We have operators, uh, or at least recorded machines, uh, waiting to take your call. Um, Prof, next week we do hope to tee up on you, um, and, uh, uh, and we do have a couple of other guests that we probably should have teed up as emergencies, but uh, we didn't. So anyway, yeah. Prof, always good to chat. We'll get onto that. Oh, sorry, yes. I, I, always good to have a chat. Probably uh, fair to say, always good to talk at you. Nice to listen. <laughs> Mate, you—I I don't know what it is. You—you uh, you sort of give much more back when we're having a beer in 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 a bar than you do when there's a microphone in front of you. Yeah, possibly. Anyway, okay, I'm, I'm just calling you out. I'm just going to let that let that hang. Just let Roll that the hang. music. Where's the band? <laughs> Good on you. Thanks, Pete. Talk to you Get soon. Get us out of here. And we are out.